I like cute clothes. I like having stylish outfits and I hate shopping. Armoire makes getting dressed easier. Armoire is a clothing rental membership option. And Janet and I recently have both tried it out. And you guys, it is so much fun. You go to their website, you get to take a little quick style quiz, takes five minutes, and then you get presented a list of beautiful clothing, pictures, wonderful clothes that you can pick out and get delivered to your house for you to try and wear in the comfort of your own home without going out and determine what looks cute, put together outfits without investing a ton of money. Right now, our listeners can give Armoire a try and get up to 50% off your first month. That is up to $125 off. Just visit armoire.style slash envoys. That's armoire.style, A-R-M-O-I-R-E, dot style slash envoys to get 50% off your first month and never have to worry about what to wear again. Try Armoire today. Today's show is brought to you by Strike Club, a brand new line of acne-fighting skincare products for guys. Developed by a pediatric dermatologist, Strike Club products are simple, skin-clearing, non-drying, and environmentally friendly. Did we mention simple? Your son can use Everywhere Wash in the shower to clear acne and inflammation in one simple step. Try Strike Club today. Use ONBOYS discount code, O-N-B-O-Y-S, to save 10%. Go to strikeclub.com to place your first order. That's S-T-R-Y-K-E club.com. This is On Boys Parenting Podcast. We are your co-hosts, Jennifer L.W. Fink, mom of four boys. And I'm Janet Allison, teacher of many more. Thanks for joining us as we share real talk about parenting, teaching, and reaching tomorrow's men. (laughs) Raising boys is getting national attention. On a recent CBS morning show, Gail King, yep, Oprah's bestie, and also a well-respected journalist, talked about Raising Boys, a newly released CBS documentary. It's near and dear to our hearts, not only because Jen is in it, but because it is bringing the topic of Raising Boys into national conversation again. And with the state of boys right now, that can't happen often enough. Our guest, Kayla Rubel, is the producer of the documentary called Speaking Frankly, Raising Boys. Now, I've never been behind the scenes of a documentary, but have always wondered how an idea comes into form, how you find the right people to be in it, and above all, what factors play into knowing that the time is right to bring this information and call to action to viewers. Have you ever wondered that too? So excited to learn more today from our guest, Kayla Rupel. Welcome, Kayla. 
Thank you. Thank you for having me. Great to have you here. So Kayla, you grew up with brothers, am I right? Yes, I have two little brothers. Aha. What other factors influenced you to produce this documentary? There's always a different reason for why you do a story or another. So in this case, you know, CBS wanted to focus this. This is part of a six-part series, um, and each episode is about sort of a different aspect of relation, like modern relationships. So in everything from family relationships to dating relationships and parenting, et cetera. Um, and so we wanted to do an episode that was more parenting or kind of family related as we started to look into some of the issues of parenting that might make sense for this. And, you know, there were some people on staff who had sons. So this kept coming, you know, this conversation. And as we started looking into it, realized, you know, yeah, there was something to do here in on this topic of raising boys in the context, especially in the years kind of post Me Too, as we talk about a lot. So, um, so yeah, that's, I guess, how it came about. It's a natural story, you know, just having people on staff and having them be uh, concerned about their boys and what issues are coming up for them. And as I'm guessing you found out, this is a nationwide issue it's like seven issues rolled into one right so there's which was which made it challenging actually for the documentary it made it challenging to find something to focus on um and we chose you know it is a worldwide issue we did choose to look just at the u.s uh because that would you know they felt like there were going to be too many issues to explore if you opened it up globally sure. uh, not that it's not important but it makes it hard to focus so we picked you know the united states we sort of that from there kind of tried to narrow in on like what were the topics that seemed to be the most important and seemed to be affecting boys in the U.S., which was sort of an array of things as well. You know, there's like, I think we touched on some of these. There's emotional expression, there's academic performance, also sort of relationships at schools. Uh, and, that's, and that's sort of then what we ended up honing in on were early kind of early childhood development. Um, cause that at least seemed like the way, if you could look at that, then you can look at like what, you know, what kind of issues lead to some of the headlines of toxic masculinity and, um, you know, quote unquote, bad men, you know, some of those things we've been seeing over the last couple of years. So it was sort of trying to take a step back and look like much earlier on in that process or part of the story. One of the things that I really appreciated when you first reached out to me, you were really uh, exploring this idea. And, you know, as a, as a fellow journalist and as a writer, I could tell that you were at that stage where you're, you know, you're gathering your information, you're sort of finding out what's out there, trying to figure out what angle to come at it from. And I really appreciated that you came at this with an open mind and you were doing your due diligence and talking to people and listening to people tell you, this is what I'm seeing. You didn't come into this with a preconceived, I am going to make a documentary that says this about boys or that says this about raising boys. Right. Yeah. I think that's always really important as a journalist to not do that. I think it can be hard, especially when sometimes I was on a pretty quick deadline. So it's yeah, easier you were. actually to come in with like preconceived notions and just sort of like, okay, this is what we think is happening. This is like the basic opinion of the people that I work around in a newsroom and what we've decided based on what we've read. And then this is like where we're going to take the story. I think, you know, in one way, I didn't know a lot about this topic. I'm not a parent. Um, I have little brothers, but they're, you know, in their 20s. So I don't know what it's like to raise a young boy right now. So for me, it was really important to just ask, start asking the questions. And that tends to be how I start a story is to find kind of experts in the area. So before I talk to maybe the parents, like the immediate parents, I'm going to try to feature or looking to interview or sort of 
I'm hoping to feature in the doc is, um, or the story is to talk to experts and just get their sense, like without leading in, leading them into what I am trying to do. It's like, okay, what is important to you? And how would you like to see the story told? Because I think so often, like this isn't a topic that is uncovered by journalists and media. It's especially um, over the last couple of years with mass shootings, there's been a lot of op-eds written about raising boys. And so you can read those, but then they've already been done, right? So it's trying to figure out what hasn't been talked about and what do the people directly involved in the issue feel like isn't being discussed. And for me, it's always important to try to find those things and then build on that. Because if there's a, pe- if there's a gap that people feel like exists, then presumably it will be more interesting than if I retell everyone mm-hmm. what they already know. So that was so, and I'm glad you appreciated that and, and picked up on that. And that's something that's important to, I think, in any process in journalism, and especially something like this where um, people have, there's a lot of opinions, there's been a lot of like inflammatory stuff or, you know, what, you know, everything seems to sort of spark uh, controversy in this topic. So yeah, so I think it was just important to just kind of listen to people and figure out like what's really going on. And I think a lot of the conversations I had, especially early on, sort of negated maybe things that anecdotally people thought was happening, or even some of the things that was in op- were in op-eds, you know, that people, that maybe the issues weren't quite the same as what we expected them to be. So if I had just gone in with like a preconceived notion, I think I would have ended up with not a very accurate portrayal of what was going on. Can you give us an example of that? I guess one thing would be like boys' uh, performance in school. After a certain age, boys tend to want to not do well and they kind of purposely will not do well in school, which I know statistically like exists, but I really didn't talk to any parents who had that specific experience. So it wasn't something I was able to explore. So like that would be one that I know my bosses were, you know, would like, would ask about. And I'd be like, well, we can't really talk about it because none of the parents had that to say. And it's not to say that it's not happening, but it, it wasn't something that I was getting like, you know, direct feedback about oh I think it was you know it was actually um this question of whether there would be animosity of parents of boys kind of animosity about me too and um sort of resentful of um some of these women's empowerment movements and girls empowerment movements and I really that was something that I've even seen in news articles you know there's this sort of like questioning like is there going to be a backlash or or whatnot and and I know that when you get to adults there is is some sort of some backlash against these movements but I did not find a single conversation with parents that led me to feel comfortable saying that anyone any parents of boys and I'm sure there are some but that by and large in the mainstream that there were parents of boys who felt resentful of opportunities girls had been given there were in this conversation came up about okay, how do we also have this conversation about opportunities to give boys? No parent said it to me in a way that felt like there was any animosity, which I think was something people were expecting. And, and something, you know, attention that maybe you are hoping is going to exist when you're creating television. But it mm-hmm. didn't, at least that I found. How do you find the parents to talk to? How do you find the experts? How do you choose who you're going to talk to? Because obviously that's going to influence the direction that your story goes. It's really important to me with experts to find experts who are kind of proven, who say things that are correct. I listen to what they say in especially our first, you know, pre-interview conversations that we do before doing the camera interview, um, that I know that what they're saying is actually accurate. Jen and I love that you included Michael Reichert. We had an on boys episode with him and both of us were just we just want to bring him home with us. <laughs> Not only is he wise, but he's so kind and yes, generous, so kind, thoughtful, and 
what a what a wonderful man. He's so kind and so thoughtful and so and has so much experience. And that's always really important, especially for these sort of survey pieces where you're looking at a big topic and and you have to do it again pretty quickly and you don't get to dig as deep into some of the issues as you would like. So you really need people who can just confidently tell you the truth and or confidently give you perspective of what this issue is that's very rooted in a lot of research and a pretty deep uh, well of expertise. So I think, yeah, and he's, I mean, he's great and he has so much personal experience and he's worked so well for so long on this topic and he speaks, you know, it was really important. I think it was great to have, um, a guy, a man who can talk about these issues. It allows maybe other men to be able to listen mm-hmm. to him talk about that. And then he talks so sensitively about feminism and the, you know, how these issues kind of go together. And so that was really nice to find. And I think to your other question about parents, how we find parents, I think we actually posted on your Facebook group. We posted on a couple of Facebook groups and you do pre-phone calls. And I just sort of, again, I kind of just said with all of it, I didn't go in with a specific story that I was looking for from each parent. It was just like, tell me what you're experiencing and talk to me a little bit about it. I asked about some of the issues that I knew, like schooling, mm-hmm. um, you know, misbehavior, uh, some of these things that I, I thought would come up in documentary or things that had kind of been coming up in research. But otherwise, I just sort of listened to what parents were talking about. And then you know, stepped back and said, okay, like, what are some of these common themes that came up? Which parents best speak to it? Who had some interesting stories that I think you might want to feature? And then I went from there and We hope you're enjoying this conversation about the background of the documentary that we will be posting in the show notes. We really want you to see it. It's a very important conversation. And meanwhile, we want to let you know that this episode is sponsored by Strike Club. Strike Club Body Wash is especially formulated for your tween and teen son's changing skin. So it will help with acne, with dry places, all those things that are happening to his changing skin. StrikeClub.com. Check it out and we've got a discount code for you on boys and that will save you 10%. So go to strikeclub.com, S-T-R-Y-K-E, club.com. Use that discount code on boys. And now let's hear about some of the conversations that Kayla had with families across America. Let's talk a little bit about some of the conversations that this documentary has already inspired. I know I have had some very positive exchanges with uh, fellow parents online. I had a a parent share with me uh, how it it made her cry because it sort of underscored what, like, this is what she's feeling and sensing, even if she doesn't always have the words for it. Like, this is my world. And to see it reflected was powerful and inspiring and validating. And then on the flip side, I have had um, some people on Twitter making comments like, well, yeah, when are they going to do the raising girls to prevent toxic femininity? And, um, oh gosh. Oh yeah. And I don't know if you, if you looked, I looked because I've been doing this a while and I expected it, but, um, on the YouTube where they have the clip of the CBS morning one, um, you know, there are people calling for uh, child protective services and the FBI to look into those parents. Because um, people have some very limited views of what's okay for boys 
it should, you're right. It should be surprising. And that's why they say never look at the comments, right? On YouTube. <laughs> right. <laughs> but uh, yeah, so that's, I mean, it's so nice to hear people feel like their own experience is reflected in these pieces. That's why we do a lot of this, right? You know, especially a, a piece like this that isn't necessarily breaking news or, or something like that, but it gives you this way to show people who aren't experiencing this issue, what's happening, what parents are dealing with, and then also um, to to help parents who are, you know, raising boys to be able to see either themselves or see a new perspective. It's interesting to hear people say, you know, toxic femininity. That was something that came up actually in our research where was this idea of like, well, are we like raising girls to be too tough at the expense of boys? And and what was really nice is I never heard a single parent talk about that, um, not to really any any validity, you know, or any, I think there was some concern that maybe we're not, um, then maybe we're losing sight of boys, but there was no sense of, oh, we are harming, we are like raising girls to like take place of men and like bully men, sort of the all conquering kind of female trope. But I imagine on the internet and with trolls, that that's, <laughs> that's the kind of thing that, that they would latch onto and is so unfortunate because they think that that is not the point of this documentary. It's right. It's about parenting and it's about boys and the issues they're experiencing. And to take that and say, well, what about what girls are doing when, I don't know, that just feels It's a three-year-old argument. I mean, if you ask yes, me, right? Like, well, you're doing this. What about this? And I, I don't find that a very mature approach to conversation. And I did actually respond to one of these people on Twitter because that's how I am. And I said, so should we wait until the media makes that? Or should we talk about what's going, like, sh- or should I keep raising my boys right now? And I think there's this tendency in society to do this thing of saying, well, but what about this thing that we're not paying attention to? And sometimes it's done as a way to detract from the immediate story at hand. And and that's counterproductive because you just can't cover everything in one story. I mean, we can't cover the whole world in 25 minutes. um, For Jen and I, who are almost into year three of On Boys, our name is pretty clear. We're about boys, but that absolutely doesn't mean that we're not about girls. And yet- we can't cover it all. So there's this balance that we strive for. And yeah, we're going to land on the side of talking about boys, but that doesn't mean that we don't want equity with girls. And I talked to so many parents who feel, and this may have come across to you, but feel judged by parents of girls. You know, you can't keep your boys under control and all, you know, all of that is, it's, paralyzing to parents of boys. It's shaming and embarrassing. And uh, I had one mom who had a girl first and then, and was, you know, in that camp of why can't you control your boys (laughs) until she had a boy. And then she changed her tune and apologized. I think documentaries like this open up that Hey, this is happening. You know, the the man who talked about his his son with the man bun ponytail. Yeah, right, the ponytail. How much do you tell your child ahead of time? Like you don't want them to go into a socially embarrassing situation, but yet you don't want to diminish you want him to wear his ponytail and his sparkly shoes if he wants to, but you also have the reality of what's gonna happen when he enters the classroom and his peer group. Yeah, I think parents, I mean, so the first thing, I do think there's just a lot of pressure on parents in general, pressure of parents of boys and girls. I think there always has been, right? There's always a lot of judging when it comes to parenting. And I think mm-hmm. with the internet parents, my, my sense was they felt, feel, are feeling 
a lot of pressure. And then in addition to pressure, then there's so many more, you can go find an article that supports any of those opinions. There is a lot of judgment regardless of what the gender of their kids are. This episode is sponsored by By Heart. Babies need to eat. And whether you breastfeed or bottle feed, use formula, combine all of the above, you need options. We wanted to let you know about Byheart Baby Formula. Byheart has a patented protein blend that gets the closest to breast milk. It includes two of the most abundant proteins in breast milk. And Byheart actually ran a clinical trial comparing their formula to a leading infant formula and proved that babies on Byheart have softer poops, less spit up, and easier digestion. Byheart is also the only U.S.-made infant formula to use organic, grass-fed whole milk. So if you need baby formula for your baby, consider Byheart. New customers can get 10% off your first order by using code ONBOYS at byheart.com. That's B-Y-H-E-A-R-T dot com slash podcast, and it is 10% off your first order, byheart.com slash podcast. This is a limited time offer and additional terms and conditions may apply. One of the most challenging things about being a woman at midlife is realizing how little people understand about perimenopause and menopause, Janet. I just had a conversation with my sister about that this weekend. She is 10 years younger than me, so I'm 51, she's 41, and she went to ask her healthcare provider, hey, can you provide me some information? And she got information, but she was frustrated by how incomplete it seems, how little we know, and how for way too many people, the answer seems to be, yep, that's the way it is. Deal with it. Mm-hmm. Deal with it. And not only are our mamas out there having to deal with perimenopause, likely at this age, but many of our moms are dealing with their sons entering or in puberty, which is kind of nature's irony, which is, oof. Cruel joke, Janet. Cruel joke. Cruel joke. Thankfully, thankfully, increasingly, there are those who are recognizing that women need and deserve competent care and treatment for perimenopause and menopausal symptoms. And we know that can still be harder to access than it should be, which is why we have partnered with Winona. Winona helps women who are dealing with menopause or perimenopause. Winona is a collection of OBGYN health professionals who believe that your symptoms are important, real, and deserve to be taken seriously. Telehealth, you can access care from your home when it is convenient for you. Visit buywinona.com today to start your free visit with free U.S. shipping and the ability to pause or cancel at any time. Your path to wellness has zero obligations. Use the code ONBOYS at buywinona.com for 25% off your first order. That's B-Y-W-I-N-O-N-A dot com slash on boys. Winona, menopause care made easy.
it was really interesting to hear parents talk about that specifically. You know, we're kind of in this like evolving era when it comes to gender roles and gender norms. And um, there's a lot of parents who are trying to do the best that they can and they want to support their kids and they're so open to whatever their child wants to be. They recognize this reality that just because they're open um, does not mean the rest of society is. And a lot of society might be, right? You know, especially kids, it really, I mean, something that I, I seem to pick up on was that kids themselves at this moment are pretty open. They're pretty used to a lot of these things that might jar, um, you know, older millennials and Gen X and older parents, you know, uh, probably aren't very jarring to kids. They are pretty used to a lot of this stuff. Um, But yeah, so you have parents that are trying to raise kids in this era where in theory, we want to raise our kids to be who they are and to express their gender however they want to express their gender. But then there's this concern. I think there's this fear in all parents. And I think it goes beyond gender. There's a fear when you're putting your kid out in the world, you know, you are, they, as the minute they step out of your house, they're at risk of being bullied, of being teased, of having something bad happen to them. And you want to protect them and you don't want them to go through something that hurts them and hurts their feelings. And then they kind of grapple with this issue of like, well, I want to protect my kid by letting my kid be himself. But then I'm also worried worried that when he goes on the playground that something might happen that might impact his whole day and might impact him for longer, right? I think we worry that well, something that happens to our kid on the playground could impact them for a, a, quite a long time. So that came up a lot with parents and was something I hadn't thought much about previously, you know, and it, it kind of showed that it's the parents that are worried and then, yeah, how do you, what, because do you tell your, do you warn your kid right. that society might not accept him? Because, and I think one of the parents, this didn't make it into the documentary, but one of the parents said something like, you know, what if you throw a hate party and no one shows up? You know, if you tell the kid that all these bad things might happen and it doesn't happen, then have you over-prepared the kid? Did you scare the kid? And I think that was the parent's fear with the ponytail was like, oh no, in trying to do that, I inhibited him from expressing himself the way he wanted wearing that ponytail. Did I sort of preempt something that was maybe never going to happen? And how do you grapple with that? And (laughs) yeah, I think it was a really compelling issue that came up. I don't think there's any easy answers for this. Do you, Janet? I mean, I don't think there's a, this is the right way to handle those. No, absolutely not. And I think to your point, Kayla, of there is just so much information out there now. I mean, I didn't have the internet when I was raising my kids. You know, I had my neighbors, I had my mom and I had Rudolf Dreicher's book. And that was pretty much it. Parents now are inundated with even just reading the comments of the documentary. And then it's like, oh, this or that, or uh, it's, and so we have to filter some of it out and get back to and support people listening to their intuition, listening to their own gut about what is right for them and what's right for their families. And you know, at the same time, to me, these, the fact that this is such a paralyzing and uh, angst-provoking moment for so many parents and families underscores why it is so important that we continue to have these conversations because we are talking about if a child wants to put color on their fingernails or what they want to do with their hair. These things are not important in the grand scheme of things, right? But it's still this huge issue. Right, right. Like the fact that something what seems so minor can create such ripples on the playground or in parenting or at society at large that people can become so worried or or that you know that people might have such reactions to something right. as simple as a ponytail. And it's like, you're right, because it shouldn't matter. What should matter, these parents should be able to just focus on how their kid is doing at school, if their kid is happy and their kid is safe, but instead they have to focus on 
okay, how is society going to react to my child's really simple choice, you know, to do this thing that actually reflects nothing. I mean, nothing just, of their character. Right. It's just, it, this child is creative and he likes what he likes and that's what it reflects. And we, but instead you have to worry about how society is going to read into everything and how that's going to affect the kid. And I think, you know, and we get a little into mental health and, and I think almost every parent that we talked to, especially of young kids had had a recent experience in their community where a kid had committed suicide. There was a couple, you know, a couple parents who had stories like that and how that had changed the community. And I think that's become like a very headline grabbing issue. So I think parents are even more concerned. Like what if, you know, what if this bullying leads to something worse down the road? And so it's just created this fear and understandably so. And it's just unfortunate that as society, we haven't been able to just like calm down and just let all kids be kids. And instead we sort of politicize the issues. I want to go a little bit off on a tangent here. And that is, as you went around and talked to parents, what was your impression of the dads? And I feel like dads are at such a crossroads of being raised maybe more uh, what you think is stereotypical. Their dads were not very emotionally available and all the things that we think about. And now it feels like our dads now are at this crossroad where the expectations of their ability to communicate their feelings, to be in relationship with their kids and their spouses and, oh, but still go off and earn money and support the family not that the mom isn't doing that too. Did you get any sense of this struggle of dads being at this crossroads? Yeah, definitely. There was some promising aspects to the fact that I think most of the men that I talked about talked to recognized like they wanted their son to feel comfortable having conversations with them. They want their son to be able to express his feelings. But that what I found, at least in listening to these conversations, was that the parent, the dads were making very active decisions to do things a certain way because what might be more innate, their more innate reactions are probably more informed by how they were raised by this past generation, you know, kind of these outdated views. So they might have this gut reaction to something that their son does. And then it was what, you know, I think a lot of them work are working pretty hard to consciously kind of like squash that gut reaction. Even the most like, you know, easygoing, loving, kind of hippy-dippy parents still have, the dads still have that sort of gut reaction. And like what they showed me was that they're consciously recognizing it and then they're taking conscious, like active action. Can't expect parents to naturally do all of this right. And it actually really takes effort. And so it takes these conversations in order to make sure that that's happening. Parents are not going to, especially dads are not going to overnight become sensitive and empathetic and um, allowing their sons to be express their emotions overnight because these dads have been ingrained with these outdated, you know, toxic masculine norms as well. And so they're working to retrain themselves and it takes effort. So no, even if you think you're really the most open parent, you really need to step back and think, I think a lot more actively about what you're doing. Our listeners can't see us, but we're both <laughs> We we record with video so we can see each other. And Jen and I are both nodding our heads vigorously up and down. Yes, Kayla. Yes, Kayla. There is nothing like having an actual child um, to to force you into situations, facing situations that you're like, I'd never thought about that before. Or huh, what do I do? And Kayla, you said, you know, about doing everything right, that there's no guarantee. The only guarantee that we can give parents is that you are going to screw up. You are going to screw up. Your kid is going to screw up. 
and it's okay. It's all right. We are learning and we are growing together. And I know one of the things that we keep circling back to here on the topic of boys is really it's about letting your child be the human being that they are. And that applies to boys and it applies to girls and it applies to all of us. So we share information about what we know about male development and we share information about what we know are some of the challenges boys face in the world and boys' families face in the world. But we're not saying that because your kid is a boy, he needs to act or behave in any kind of certain way. We're saying, right. look at the individual in front of you and support that. Right. And that, that's, it's not going to happen naturally. You know, I think that you actually have to, parents have to like, and again, it's with everything. You, you don't just, none of us are born perfect and we have to approach issues. You have to actually step back and think about issues, right? And you have mm-hmm. to think about how you're going to do things and you can just wing it. And that's great. And some parents I think are probably better naturally, but that it's okay if you don't do it right the first time and that it's okay if your natural reaction isn't what you expected it to be. And that you mm-hmm. found, and that you did have to retrain yourself. Recognizing that is just, is valuable, I think. So Kayla, when you step back from this, and I know you probably have a million other projects that you're working on, but when you step back and kind of look back on this experience of this documentary, is there one person or one story that really stands out to you? I would just say one of the boys that we interviewed in the film, it was just so cool how, I mean, some of the words he was, he was very smart and well and articulate and he was, you know, was, was lovely. All the boys that we spoke to were, and, and I think all of them had much more, uh, much more optimistic views on gender equality and feminism than I was expecting. Um, and that I feel like my, the guys that I grew up with would have had. So that was just really cool in itself. But then one of the boys that we spoke to, I mean, he just used, he used words like gendered and he talked about LGBTQ in this way that like, I don't think it was part of my vocabulary um, growing up. And it was just so cool. How, and it was natural. It wasn't, you could tell his parents hadn't forced that vocabulary on him. That was just, I think the natural conversations that he's having and that kids are having or the words that they're using or the words that they're hearing in their books and TV shows that they're watching. And it just felt, it felt so natural. And I felt like I could have been talking to someone much older, a college student. And so I'm really interested interested to see how these kids are going to be by the time by the time they're 20 and I'm you know uh in my middle age, and I'm middle age I feel like I'm the half the conversations that they're they're going to be having are so much more articulate than I'll be able to manage you know so and it was just it definitely made me feel better about where things might be especially when it comes to gender equality once these kids are maybe in control and some of these older generations we've phased out of it so yeah so that was I think that stood out to me a lot was just the way these these children were communicating, these boys are communicating and the words they're using and the way they look at issues. And I mean, asking them like what they thought about boys or girls felt like so silly to them. Like I could tell that they were just like, what do you mean? Like why? Like they know that they they do definitely pick up on some of the pressure, gender pressures and gender norms, but there's also a big part of them that you can tell is sort of like whatever I was asking was already outdated for them, like the terminology and whatnot. So that was pretty cool. I think that's very hopeful. Yes. You know, I'm th- I'm w- when we're recording this, the Merriam-Webster just made they as a pronoun the word of the year of 2019. Oh, cool. Here I am in my generation, which is above your guys' generation, and that's still like I have like you were saying before, I have to consciously make the effort to 
incorporate that word into my vocabulary yet right. it sounds like with this boy what like why are you even ca- calling that out because that's yeah, like what's what's the question yeah like kind right. of yeah they did right. seem like that it was so cool I mean and that's so it is going to be so much more natural for them and there's not going to be protests over you know bathrooms and all these things that we have turned you know we've decided are big deals to us like you can just tell with them I mean there's going to be other issues because they're going to I'm sure their kids will be on to something else but yes at least when it comes to the stuff that we're talking about right now and that's so important especially to so many of us women and so many of the moms that we interviewed as well some of a lot of these issues of gender equality in the workplace and just raising boys who are sensitive to that stuff it just felt like okay the kids are they're fine you know like they've got this like we the parents are doing an active enough job and are obviously playing a role in this but also it seems like the playground community at large is like is doing okay (laughs) they've got it yay (laughs) I think that's the biggest takeaway that I want for parents both from the documentary and from our podcast the kids are okay yeah. Like we obsess as parents and as adults, are we doing the right thing? Are we not doing the right thing? We are doing good enough. Our kids are growing. Our kids are thriving. Are there issues? Yes, absolutely. Do we talk about them? Yes, but we're making progress. Definitely. Yeah. I felt like I, I was not expecting to feel like, okay, more progress is actually being made than I thought. I was like expecting to talk to a lot more parents who made me feel like, oh gosh, we are still have so much work to go, you know, that people would have these sort of outdated views. And I just really didn't come across that. And we were all over the country in lots of states, lots of different ends of the spectrum and lots of different backgrounds of people that we talked about. And at the end of the day, everyone was sort of, there was kind of this area that everyone seemed to fall into and, and there weren't really a lot of, you know, it was a lot less extreme or a lot more together, you know, I don't know, a lot more forward looking than I was expecting. Yay. Bravo. Well, we want to hear how we can, and we'll put a link in the show notes for our viewers to view the documentary. So tell us about that. But also, I'm so curious, what are the next projects coming up on your to-do list? So you can go to CBSN Originals, I think, uh, the website, and you can watch it there. I think there is also, there's some stories on YouTube, on CBS News, um, and then the CBS and streaming app, I think, also has them. So my, you know, in my day job, I'm an investigative reporter, uh, and I am working on some investigative reporting on the Flint water crisis, which is what I've been doing for the last few years. So I'll be doing that uh, continuing going forward. So Well, thank you for taking up that work also. Investigative journalists are just... Man, we need you more than ever. Yes, especially right now. It's a, it's a very, it's very important. So I'm glad I'll, I'll be able to go back to that. So, but it was, a, it was nice to take some time to look at something maybe a little bit different than my normal. You know, digging into government corruption and whatnot. So and get to talk to, spend some time talking to parents. It was a nice, nice respite. Thank you so much for sharing some time with us. This Thank has you. been a Thank fascinating look behind the scenes of how documentaries are formed and the thought processes that go into it. I've just thoroughly enjoyed learning more. Great. And thank you. Thanks for featuring us and thanks for helping so much in the process. It was great to find sites like yours. That was another, I mean, we didn't get into this, but just the community on, on yeah. the internet, you know, that has been, it exists for parents now. And it was helpful for us in finding resources and getting to make sure that we understood the topic the best. And then thanks for taking the time to talk to me about it. I appreciate oh, it. Oh, thank you. It was a pleasure. Pleasure. Yes. Oh, thank you guys. Bye. Thank you. Bye-bye. It's impossible to raise boys alone. Join one or both of our Facebook groups. 
Jen is at Building Boys, and Janet has Boys Alive. Ask questions, share your wins, get support when you need it. We'd love to have you join us. Our family has grown. Welcome to the world, Hannah baby. Introducing a new collection, Hannah Soft, made with Tencel. It's so breathable, with stretchy comfort for all of baby's first moments. And it's cool and gentle on their skin all year round. Entrusted Hannah quality for your most precious gift. Hannah Soft, made to last. Shop now at hannahanderson.com.